We're continuing our series in Isaiah, uh, as I get situated here. So I'm turning as you're turning. Always love the sound of hearing Bibles opening up. You don't really hear that with the technology side of it, do you? But that's all right. Here's my question for this morning. I want us to have this question as we think about this passage. Where do you go to get refreshed? And what do you do to get refreshed? We all get tired. We all get exhausted. We all struggle in life. We all get weary. We all get faint-hearted, especially in 2020 and 2021, right? When you've got the angst, the anxieties that, that all this last year has brought, and we thought that 2021 was going to be better, and you kind of start in, and you're kind of like, man, we're still in it. What's going on with this? Life beats us up pretty bad at times. And, and, and a lot of times that includes people, right? Friends, people that we're close to, whatever. Life beats us up pretty good. And so the question is, where do you go to get refreshed? Confidence lags. You, you find yourself not performing as well at work for some reason or other, or, or you're out of your element, or, or your, your company has, has asked you to do things that you don't feel as comfortable with and you're not as good at. And so your confidence lags. Where do you go to get refreshed? We all get burned out, need mental holidays or whatever. Where do you go to get refreshed, rejuvenated, restored, re, 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 uh, uh, different than you are right now. This morning I got a text from a very good friend. He said yesterday, at his, uh, uh, yesterday his youth pastor died. And he was texting me this morning, said, I need, I need your prayers this morning. I need you praying for me this morning. I got to face my congregation this morning and tell them that. Man, there's, there's things in life that just take it out of us like that. Instantly, we may have been doing really well up to that point and all of a sudden, boom. We, we, we think, you know, it doesn't matter what we had done before. We, we, need, we need restoration. We need refreshing. We, we need God's restoring waters in our lives. And we need it mentally, we need it physically, we need it emotionally and spiritually. We're a whole person. We divide ourselves into all oh, my physical life and my other, my different parts of my life. But the reality is we're a whole person. And if, my, if I'm down physically, it impacts me spiritually. It impacts me emotionally. And so I, I take those four areas and I know if I'm down in two of those areas at the same time, I can understand why I'm struggling. If I'm down three, wow, I'm... I'm, I'm not in, in a great place. And so the question is this morning, as you think about what you've gone through this week or even before, where do you go to get spiritually refreshed? And do you know that God cares about that? He talks about that in scripture, how to be spiritually refreshed. He talks about that in Isaiah 40, a very familiar passage. We usually go to the end of the chapter and we go, oh wow, this is great stuff. I mean, it's the passage which says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength, even use and uh, grow faint and weary. This is verse 30. 
and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they will shall mount up with wings like eagles they will run and not be weary they will walk and not faint and we read those words and we go ah what great words right and you feel comforted just reading that, that God cares about you. But there's a, it's part of this larger part of, of this chapter. It's, it's part of this whole section of Isaiah. Isaiah starts out, oh, it's on this side now. <laughs> I, I didn't look before we started here. I guess I should have. We talked about this last time. That the whole book of Isaiah is broken into really three sections. You got the historical section in the middle, but then you have judgment on one side and comfort on the other side. 26 chapters, it's supposed to be 40 to 66, 26 chapters of comfort. And in the middle of that, uh, you have the exile. So between chapters 39 and 40, you have this exile, the exile to Babylon. And you see it talked about in chapter 39 where, where, Hezekiah, where Isaiah tells Hezekiah, behold, days are coming, verse 6, 39, 6. Days are coming when all that is in your house that you showed to the king of Babylon, you did it, and that what your fathers have stored up this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left. So he said, this Babylon exile is going to come. And then the comfort starts, as we looked at last time, comfort, comfort my people. So God cares about our comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, speak to her heart, and cry to her that her exile has ended. Now it says warfare in some translations, and I looked it up, and exile is the idea. So this exile that I'm talking about, it's going to end. And that would be a great refreshing, a great renewing to know it's coming to an end. That's what we usually want when we go through difficult days. We're just looking forward to that day when it's over, when it's done, when we can move on. That's what we hope for with 2020 and then 2021 happened. And you're like, okay, it's gone going. I thought it was going to end now. I'm ready for it to be over. And we're thinking the same thing with the vaccine. Well, guess what? Life goes on, right? And you may get, we may get done with this pandemic thing, but then something else is going to come up. And our question is, am I just bouncing and enduring one thing to the next? Or am I living in the power of his strength from one to the next? Because it changes the way we live our life. I can either live my life just kind of sucking up and enduring it, or I can live my life trusting in the Lord and letting him strengthen me and finding joy in his presence as Psalm 16 talks about. There's presence, there's joy in the presence of the Lord. Am I going to live my life in his presence or am I going to just live my life in my own presence? Because my own presence isn't nearly as grand as his. And so you look at that and you realize, you know, I need to think in terms of renewal and refreshing. And that needs to be a, very much a part of my life. It needs to be in my calendar. It needs to be uh, uh, as, as part of how I live my life. We do that with our cars most of us, right? You maintenance your car. What's one of the big maintenance things you do? Oil. If you don't change the oil on a regular basis, and my uncle always was getting on to me about that. He, every, that was his first question to me whenever I would see him is, have you changed the oil in your car? <laughs> if I said no, then he said, you need to do it. If I said yes, he said, when? <laughs> 
And it doesn't matter what, if I said 3,000 miles ago, he goes, uh, I'd do 2,500. <laughs> and then I learned that. So I said, so I'd 2,500. He said, I'd do 2,300. You know, so I, I, I never could win on that one. Uh, and I, in fact, I, that was what I, I did right before his funeral. I got up and, and I told people, I said, I, I want you to know I could not do this funeral without changing the oil in my car. <laughs> and the air filter, you know. Because those are the two things, that, that was the other thing he would ask me about. And so he was always, that was something really important to him, right? And I think in our spiritual lives, when was the last time we changed the spiritual oil? Nah, we got the Holy Spirit, we don't need to change that, right? When was the last time that I took time and just spent time with the Lord and just in an unhurried way? If, that, if I don't have some of those built into my schedule on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on an annual basis, if I don't have those built in, I'm going to do like what would happen to my car if I didn't change the oil in it. It's going to burn up the engine. And then we, what, what do we say spiritually and emotionally? Man, I just feel burn out, right? Burn out. We're saying the same thing. We're saying I didn't change the oil which I never would have said to my uncle, right? Couldn't say that. And we're saying I didn't pay attention to my spiritual life and I'm burned out. Now, we can get burned out and taken care of our spiritual lives. We can be doing all the right stuff and something comes along that's so overwhelming that it just wipes all that out. Every one of us understands what Isaiah is saying when he says he gives power to the faint. We need it, we long, long for it, we want it. So how do we get it? Where do we go? Well, we go to the Lord, right? But how? You know, we think of renewal usually around January. That's usually the first month of the year, right? And we make our plan. This is, man, this is gonna be renewal, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose weight this year. I, I started out good and then February happened, <laughs> right? I did start out doing the Bible recap this year and fortunately have continued on. And you know why I was able to continue on? Not because I'm so strong. Because God provided for me. Here's how he provided for me. Two are better than one, right? I have a wife that's also doing it with me. So I know I, I better not, I, I know we, we do it together most mornings and those mornings that we don't, you know, I, I say, I'm doing it, I'm in the car, I'm listening, you know, or whatever, right? Because you can listen to the scripture, you don't have to just sit and read every word, you can listen to every word. And so sometimes we're listening and, and following, sometimes following along and sometimes just you gain some things by just listening at times. Two are better than one. I know that I have other people, friends that are doing reading the scriptures in a year and, and so it helps me to remember that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil so God's provided for me two better than one a friend a person that's also doing it a congregation a, a community of believers maybe you don't have another friend who's doing it but you know well at least Buckles is doing it he's still hanging in there he's done it for two months but also have uh, a Bible recap you got Terry Lee Cobble reminding you and encouraging you along right and so that's, that's helpful. So that is a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So I have my wife, I have Tara Lee Cobble, I have other friends around encouraging me to do the right thing. Two are better than one. God's provided. Am I availing myself of those that God has provided? The structure of Isaiah, when you get into this comfort area, 
still 40 to 66. It's a series of nine sermons. Nine sermons that uh, start with 40 to 48, nine of them, you know, have these three sections of, and this section is, is focused primarily on the idea of deliverance from Babylon and of that comfort. And in fact, all of these are, uh, this is those, those nine sermons, uh, or 27 sermons, nine deal with the end of the Babylonian exile. Nine deal with the forgiveness of sins by the suffering servant, being Jesus. And then nine deal with the new heavens and the new earth, sufferings that are followed by a far more exceeding weight of glory. And in fact, one of the things you see is in Isaiah is he's one of the most evangelistic Old Testament prophets. He's a guy that is very messianic. You read about Jesus a lot in Isaiah and he's quoted in the New Testament. And you realize this, this guy is, is a guy that we need to pay attention to um, and a lot of times we get lost in the first 39 chapters of judgment and we kind of don't make it to the second half. And I, that's why I decided to start with the second half so that we begin to see the value. And my hope is, is to get you excited about Isaiah so you'll go back and read, read it. One of the things that you know is even if you're doing the right things, every form of human strength is going to wear out, Right? Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how healthy you are, you're gonna run out of gas. You know, yesterday I was mowing my yard and used to I would mow just the whole thing. I got about, uh, I got an acre and, and I've got about a quarter of an acre that I have to mow and, and, uh, and at this time of the year, a lot more weeds come up and so I gotta mow a little more than that. And I used to try to do the whole thing in one day, now I just kinda, for an hour, I'll mow it as what I can get in an hour. And then I'll work on the next one the next day or whatever. Because you run out of gas, you run out of steam. And we planted our garden yesterday, it's that, you know, that time of year as well. And so getting those things done, we find ourselves exhausted. And what do we do? We sit down, we rest, we eat, take a shower. I mean, just all the things that refresh and restore us. And so the question is, though, we know what to do to restore and refresh physically. Emotionally, we, we spend time with friends or we just veg out or we get some time where we're just looking at nature or whatever it is that, that refreshes and restores you there. I know that we take vacations and one of the, probably one of the most exciting parts of the vacation for me is the first hundred miles. I'm just looking at the windshield, just going, ah. And just feeling every mile that goes by, just kind of the stresses of life just kind of melt off, right? And then there's the rest of the trip, but, you know. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this time of year. This time of the year is the first year of months in the Jewish calendar. Yeah, we start in January. They start here. This today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus entered on a donkey. He came off of the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem coming in. Guess what was happening on the west side of Jerusalem? Maybe that same day. Pontius Pilate was coming in because he knew with all his troops, he knew that he needed to come in because this time of year, Passover, was a time of, of, of great unrest and there were a lot of people in Jerusalem. Most of Jerusalem had moved to, to most of the country had come to Jerusalem and so there might be two million people around Jerusalem. So he brought the troops. And so here you have this earthly king, so to speak. He wasn't a king. He was a governor. But you have Jesus coming in on the east side as the king of kings. 
And that contrast is so powerful when you look at this, this time of year. And, and it was the first, uh, they, they would, this would be in, around the 14th day of the month. They begin Passover. And, and as these things began to occur, they began to focus on spiritual rebirth and renewal. And so this was a time of year for them to, they would have Passover. And during the Passover time of the year, they would begin to think about God and begin to think about and remember. It was a time of remembering their deliverance from Egypt and remembering that God is a God who is a deliverer. God is a God who, who gives you new things and good things, gives salvation away. All they did was paint the blood of a lamb on a doorpost and their children were spared and God delivered them without them doing much. This was a time of renewal and I think about it in regard to us. And so I want us to get into this passage, but I want us to start in verse 12. Now the first 11 verses of chapter 40 are a prologue. They're the first sermon, but they're also a prologue uh, uh, to the whole second half of the book. And we, we get this idea, and let me just kind of briefly review. Uh, it says, comfort, comfort my people. And so there's that idea of comfort that, that starts out there. But then it quickly, and it says that, uh, uh, and it really gives an outline of the book. Your exile is ended. Remember that first section of the book. Iniquity is pardoned. Second section of the book, the suffering servant, and has received from the Lord's hand double for all their sins, double blessing is the idea of, of many of the commentators, and I think they're right. And I think this double of reward idea is carried over into verse 10. It says, behold, his reward is with him. And so I think that's what's in view here. And that's the third section, new heavens and new earth. This double blessing. And then he talks about preparing a way for the Lord. He's coming because... Notice that it says, and, and you jump ahead to verse 9, Behold your God, verse 10, Behold the Lord God comes with might. That idea of behold the Lord and behold he's coming with might is what begins to lead us into this uh, verses 12 all the way up to uh, 27. But he wants us to understand before he tells us about who God is. Because that's what he's going to be telling us about. Here's your God. Behold your God. I want you to see who this God is that you love and worship. He says, now put in contrast, you're like grass. You're going to wear out. You're going to fade away. But God is eternal. He lasts forever. And then he begins to ask a series of questions, 10 questions that he asks from verses 12 to 27. And he gives answers. And they're in, in, in five sections here. The first one, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? He has five images there of how incredible and how immense God is. He's transcendent. He's above all things. There is nothing that you can compare him with. He can have all the oceans in the palm of his hand, in the hollow of his hand. I mean, just think about that. Yeah, God doesn't have a hand. He's spirit. He doesn't need a hand. This is a figure of speech here. But that idea that he is so immense that the waters are nothing to him. He marks off the heavens with a span. You know what a span is? It's this. 
Here's a cubit from here to your elbow. And here's a span, which is half of that distance. So that's about 18 inches. This is nine inches. A span. God's span covers the universe. Mine doesn't even cover this room, right? By comparison. Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure, in a basket. All the dust, all the, and you think you got all the dust in your house, right? But all the dust of the earth in a basket. He weighed the mountains in scales. And, I, and, and when I looked at scales and balance, I thought, oh, he's talking about the same thing. And then I realized as I looked up the, the word, it talked about a um, steelyard. Anybody know what a steelyard is? Any of you engineering types or whatever? Anybody know what a steelyard is? I know a steel yard. And I was thinking, oh, I don't know what a steel yard has to do with anything. And so I looked it up because I wanted to see what is a steelyard. Oh. There you go. That's a steelyard. You weigh things with it. You put something here and then you move this until it balances. And I went, oh, in the doctor's office. When you stand on those fancy scales, that's what it is. It's a steelyard because it uses that kind of structure when you think about it. And so he uses this to measure. He also uh, uses scales, which are the typical scales that we would think of, which have the two sides that balance. And so he uses these five pictures of the world, the earth, everything that's in it is nothing in comparison to him. He is omnipotent. There is nothing more powerful than him. He is enough. His, he is enough in magnitude. He is enough in power. Then he asks a second series of questions. Verse 13, who has, me, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Now he's speaking very uh, sarcastically whom did he consult and who made him understand and, you, and these are rhetorical questions too because you have no one who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding no one behold the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales you don't even worry about the dust on the scales yeah maybe you dust them off but you don't worry about it too much Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. It's not enough fuel for, you know, for God to, uh, he, there's, you know, you could burn up the whole thing. Nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as nothing, uh, less than nothing, an emptiness. So this second idea here is the nations aren't even enough. God is sovereign ruler. The, the idea, the picture of the shepherd king that we saw in, in, in verse 11, 10 and 11 is here. And so he goes to the third image or third series of questions. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare to him? An idol? A craftsman casts that and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver change. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He will seek out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not, it says will not move. The Hebrew has the, the word, is, the idea is totter. In other words, you've got to prop the thing up so it doesn't fall over. And you think, really? You're going to go with that rather than this God that I'm telling you about. Behold your God. Behold your God. He is a God who is immense. He's a God that's not propped up. He's not of our creation. We are of his creation. And yet our world is increasingly creating God. My God is, I don't get a choice of how God is. 
My only choice is to accept the God who is. Behold your God. Another series of questions in verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them like a tent to dwell in, who bring princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. God is the judge God is the one, and you look at these pictures here, verse 15, the nations, verse 19, an idol, verse 22, the earth and all its inhabitants, nothing compares to God. And 25, it's the heavenly host, the stars. To whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Here's the creator who brings out their host by number calling them all by name, by the greatness of might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He's, he's addressing the astral deities of the Babylonians here, which he says that they're going to be carried off to. He says, I created those. They are nothing. When he talks about who has measured the spirit of God and who has shown him his counsel, Marduk, who was the chief Babylonian deity, Look for counsel, but God does not. He doesn't need our counsel. He doesn't need our wisdom. He doesn't need advice from Greg Buckles. He doesn't need advice from you. We sit around in committee meetings because we need other people to kind of think of things that we haven't thought of. God doesn't need that. He's thought of everything. He knows everything. Behold your God. He's incredible. He's enough. He's immense. He's all powerful. He created all things. He doesn't need our counsel. He knows everything. Behold your God, because you won't understand what he says when he goes on to talk to us about his comfort, his strengthening in our time of weariness until we've behold, taken the time to behold who God is. I remember somebody... Uh, um, Talking about evangelism, he says evangelism is just taking one long look at Jesus and then telling people what you see. I think when we come to our comfort and our need for that, it's taking a long look at God and then facing the situation that we face. Because our tendency is to focus on the circumstances and being overwhelmed by them and we need to stop it because when we do that, our God looks really small. But when we focus on God and realize how immense and how incredible he is, then our circumstances seem really small. Where is our focus right now? Isaiah takes a lot of time building up to this point. Behold your God. And now here's what he does for you. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, or Yahweh, is the, the everlasting God. Yeah, you're temporary, he's everlasting. So he's really addressing uh, uh, what, he's, what he's been talking about before here in verses, uh, uh, the first 11 verses. Then he says, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he's addressing the issue of, of, of verses 18. What will you compare God to, an idol and the stars? No, God is a creator. He does not grow faint or weary. You might. 
He's infinite. He's infinite in power. He never has a time where he's burned out. We do. His understanding is unsearchable, which is exactly what he talked about with the Spirit. So he kind of recaps here what he'd been talking about. Behold your God. And then he says, he gives power to the faint. It's a gift. He gives us what we need when we're faint. In fact, if you'll notice, it says faint, weary. Then in 29, uh, and, and that's, that's just, uh, he's, he doesn't grow faint or weary, but then he, in 29, he give, gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Here it is, faint and weary, young men being exhausted, renewing the strength. It's, it's like uh, uh, you'll run and not be weary, walk and not faint. I mean, there's this idea, this whole section is, are you faint? Are you weary? Are you exhausted? Right? And he's addressing that question. He, he says so many things about it. Anytime you look at a passage and it just repeats a word or what, you know that that's important, pay attention. So what's the solution that he gives us for it? One is we need to look to him because he's the one who gives power. The one who has unlimited power gives us power. Wow, what kind of power? I looked up that word. And that Hebrew word carries several different ideas. One is just power, strength. Another is ability. And another is wealth. So financial ability. He gives, uh, and so which one is it that this, this is talking about? Maybe all. All the above. How does he give power? One thing is, two are better than one. He gives me other believers in Jesus Christ. That's part of the way that he strengthens us. And if we're pushing people away at those times when we need people the most, if we push them away and, we, and they say, how are you doing? Fine. And you're not going to tell them anything because you don't want them to know your business or whatever it is, then we end up pushing all these different people away that care about us, love us, would, would pray for us. I loved it, the fact that my good friend texted me this morning, even though he knew I was preaching this morning. He texted me this morning and said, I need your prayer this morning because my youth pastor died. I mean, I just, and, and I think we got to reach out. We got to let people know because otherwise they don't know. Two are better than one. He gives power. How does he give it? A lot of different ways. To the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Then he takes a picture here of young, youth. Even youth shall faint and be weary. In other words, even the strongest among you, I can tell you, if you're young, uh, 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 under about 30 years of age, maybe under 40 years of age, you're stronger than you will ever be in your life. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, I just mowed the yard yesterday and I'm kind of going, you know, limping around, you know, and, and it's like, what happened to you? I, I mowed the yard. What? 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 <laughs> I remember giving my dad a hard time, you know, about that. And I, I don't anymore. I wish he was still around for me to apologize to him. But, you know, you, 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 you realize you're, you, you don't have the strength. And so he takes... Us at our best, youth shall faint and be weary, young men shall fall exhausted, right? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And I was asking myself the question, why, why this, what is this waiting on the Lord? You know, we all have probably a different opinion about what it is to wait on the Lord. And I looked up the word in it and it said to wait with eagerness. And I was like, to wait with expectation, with anticipation. 
And so I started getting some images in my mind, waiting for the Lord or waiting on someone, right? I thought, waiting on your spouse while they're shopping. <laughs> Sitting on a bench, waiting, right? That, and it's passive. And what do you do once they show up? You're ready to go home, take a nap. Because you've been bored for all this time, right? Maybe playing on your phone or whatever. Is that the image that he's talking about? Waiting on the Lord that I'm waiting, you know? When are you going to get done, Lord? When are you going to finally get to me? When are you going to finally take care of my issues or whatever? And, and we've, we have this image in our head that somehow waiting is this passive activity. There's another way to wait. Another person sitting on a bench. And this bench is sitting next to a basketball court. That's a whole different kind of waiting. You're waiting for your number to be called so you can go out and play, right? And you didn't just sit on this bench kind of randomly. You, you worked hard to be able to sit on this bench. You trained, you looked at game film, you looked at the plays, you, you practiced, and now you're sitting on the bench and you're waiting to go. And so my question is, which waiting is in view here? Those who wait on the Lord. If you're waiting in anticipation and in expectation and in hope, it's not a passive thing. It's something that we're ready for the Lord to call our number and send us into the game. And so I think that that's in view here, that I will take some time. I love it. <laughs> Beautiful sound, isn't it? I, I think about... Am I, am I waiting like that or am I just passively kind of angrily waiting for the Lord to finally do what I need him to do? To finally answer my prayer? Or am I looking at the Lord going, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I know you're going to do something special here. I think it's the second. And it's that one that has their, their strength renewed. Why, why doesn't it say he'll renew their nap? He'll renew their sleep. He'll give them rest. It doesn't say that here. It says he will renew their strength. Why do I need strength for the next thing that's coming? For moving on, for taking those steps so that he'll be glorified in my life. That renewal is change. It means that he might change something in me and we don't like change. And so we find ourselves waiting on the Lord passively, not wanting to change versus waiting on the Lord expectantly, saying, Lord, if you need to change me, change me, but use me. That's the picture. That's the image. That's the idea. It says they will mount up with wings like eagles. Or NIV says they will soar like eagles. And some, I heard somebody say it's hard to soar with the eagles when you're flying with the vultures, right? Right? <laughs> Because that's what we feel like that we're doing. We're, we're around a bunch of other people that are like us and they're struggling. And how can you soar? What is that image? You know what? Eagles, because of these large birds, condors do it too. Some of these larger birds, they just have their wings out like this. They're just floating, aren't they? They had to flap to get up there, but now they're just, they're, they're using very little energy. If you were take this uh, 747 or uh, uh, airplane and and see how you know how much fuel that thing uses just to stay airborne and then you've got this eagle that's just catching the updrafts right just floating along catching the updrafts. I'm so glad 
He didn't say, you'll be like the hummingbird. <laughs> Just flapping like crazy 80 times a second, right? Heart rate about 1,200 beats a minute. I mean, just, you know, that's what we feel like. That's sometimes what we're doing in life. We're just going, Lord, I'm trying to do. And the Lord's going, will you just stretch out your arms? I've provided the air. I've provided the updraft for you. I've provided people around you. I've provided myself. I'm big enough. You don't need to be anxious and flapping around like a duck trying to take off. Just soar. You know what happens with an eagle? And, I, and, I, and you'll have to fact check me on this. And I looked up several places, but I couldn't find a place that just nailed it for me. Most birds, when a storm comes, you know where they go? Cover, right? They're going to find a place, and we have these images of this storm and this little bird hidden kind of away, right? A, a, a mother hen covering up her chicks. You know what an eagle does? He flies toward the storm. I thought that was an interesting picture. He flies toward the storm, not away from it. And when he hits the updrafts of the storm, it takes him up above because he's a high flyer more than a lot of birds, maybe one of the highest, and, and he, just, he just goes above the storm. And I just go, wow, what a great image here. And I think that I've, when I've looked at this before, I realized I think I've gotten this passage wrong. I think I've missed it. My tendency is to be like the other birds and hide from the storm and, and, to, and to just pull it in and, and to be passive and to think I just need this time where I'm just kind of vegging out before the Lord. And No, I need to, I'm going to get stronger when I'm living in anticipation and I can't wait for what he's going to do next. And when he, come, when he does the next thing, I'm ready. Right? There was a guy who had an eagle. Had it from the time the eagle was just a little thing and, it, and it some, somehow it had gotten an injured wing and, and uh, so he re rehabilitated it and, and he finally realized he needed to let it go. He had actually, since it was so, so young, he, he kind of took some time to grow it. And this eagle, because it had this cog on its leg, would just hop around. It didn't fly. And he realized, I need to let, liberate this eagle. And so he took the cog off and even though the eagle had the cog off, he still thought he needed to hop around and didn't fly. And he couldn't figure out, how do I get this eagle to fly? And so early one morning, he, before the sun rose, he got the eagle out of its cage and, and, he, and he set it on this wall and the eagle saw the sun coming up. And when the, when the sun came up, the eagle let out a screech and took off. That eagle wasn't where he was supposed to be before that. Now he was. Eagles are supposed to fly. They're supposed to soar. And we are too. We're supposed to soar in his strength, catching his updrafts, catching the air that he has provided, that we are trusting him, that no matter what we're waiting for in this life, we're anticipating. We're not just waiting passively. We're getting ready for when, when God does the next thing. Maybe you're a single person waiting to get married. Maybe you're a, uh, uh, you've got uh, a person waiting for a job. Whoever, whatever situation that you're in, you think about that and you think, I don't just wait passively, I wait actively. And it's not that God's not doing anything while I'm waiting. He's doing something then too. He's getting me ready for whenever he opens that door, he gets that opportunity that I've been waiting for. Our God is a God who gives. He's a generous God. Gives power to the faint. What do we do? We wait on him. 
in the way that he intended for us to wait. Father, we come to you this morning and I thank you that we have to wait on you at times because when we do, we get a good focus on you, a good, good look at you. Father, I pray that we would not be those who just wait passively, bored, angrily. I pray that we would wait on you, the one who is our strength, the God who is big enough. Behold your God. We love you. We worship you. We praise you today. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus, that they would respond to the gospel, that Christ died for them. Pray that they would respond to your gentle tugging at their hearts because you're a good giving God and you give salvation away and you want to give it to them. If they would simply believe on Jesus, they can express that by just simply talking to you and saying, God, I want Jesus. And right now I put my faith in him. I believe on him. Because you gave Jesus as our salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to come to you and respond to you. But Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to respond to you and receive the generous, incredible gift of your strength when we're weary. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.